Welcome to Liberty Monks Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Mundy. Today, we have Anthony Fracchia in our virtual studio. Anthony, welcome to Liberty Monks, brother. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, listen, man, I know you're um, you're an entrepreneur at heart and in practice. Um, and I think, dude, I think we've known each other now for, I want to say, at least eight or nine years, right? If not longer. It's been a while. It's been, it's been the better part of a decade. It's been the better part of a decade. Um, in that time, man, you've purchased, built up, and sold an incredibly successful insurance brokerage company, Altruist Benefits Consulting, right? Um, by the way, congratulations on that milestone, man. Thank you very much. It was, uh, <laughs> it was an interesting experience, but I'm glad I'm on the other end of it now. Absolutely. Um, you're also heavily involved in Michigan, um, primarily, I think, in philanthropy, right? Um, you're a board member uh, and an advocate for Threads for Success, which is a, a mentor-based charity. Um, I know it's focused on development of high school kids, right? Um, these kids want to be yeah. somebody. They're usually juniors and seniors. Yeah, we focus on, um, I've, I've kind of, I've been involved in the mentoring space for, for quite a while, 10 to 15 years, um, volunteering, contributing. Um, I got involved with Threads for Success, and I've really found a niche just with my skill set um, with the you know young men, you know juniors and seniors in high school that are about to embark in the next phase of their life, whether that be going right into work, whether that be going into a trade program, uh, associate's degree, or a four-year degree. And I've just found that you know what I've experienced and done and learned throughout my time mentoring, throughout my time in business as an employee and then also as an entrepreneur and, and building businesses, I, I, I can lend a skill set. I believe I can lend a skill set to these young men to try to eliminate some pitfalls that I certainly fell into um, going throughout, you know, throughout my life, you know, mm -hmm. last whatever 25 years I've been in the working world, um, hopefully to just identify those, help them avoid them and get on that trajectory to success a bit earlier in their lives. Dude, that's incredible work and obviously just much needed and um everybody needs Absolutely. a mentor and it sounds like you're doing an awesome job being a mentor to a lot of a lot of kids that uh, want to aspire like i said to be to be the better best version of themselves they possibly can right yep and and what we preach really there's a, there's a consistent mantra throughout um aspire detroit which i know we'll get into which is what we're what we're teaching these young men does not require any specific level of talent and it does not require any specific level of intelligence. It simply requires that they make a decision to incorporate some of these principles into their life. And we truly believe that, you know, if they if they start to incorporate some, if not all of them, um, the results are going to speak for themselves. That's awesome. And you took the words out of my mouth, man. Um, you now in your second year uh, in your efforts that you uh, that you have um, with Aspire Detroit, something you created, right? You created that. And yeah. That is now taking that same demographic um, of kids that you gravitate to and that gravitate to you and really taking it even further, right? So now you're looking at how do you help them develop personally? How do you develop uh, a financial game plan and get some intelligence and knowledge and wisdom in that area? And then also professional development. Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Um, if, if I may, I'll, I'll kind of give you the just yeah. the background of how Aspire happened. Um, I I joined Threads for Success, which was originally called Project Pinstripe. There were some naming trademark issues that once we started to get them, I, I started helping them get their 501c3 put together and some other things. And we ended up um, through a great a friend of mine, Matt Didio at Gyro Creative in downtown Detroit, helped us completely rebrand it. And we came up with Threads for Success. 
So Threads for Success is a great program. It does a one-day event. We invite um, up to 100 young men from a number of Detroit um, high schools to come in. We'll usually get anywhere between 50 to 70 that actually that actually are able to make it. And we do a one-day event where we go through interview training. We do mock interviews. Um, we do a breakout session on how to take care of a professional outfit, how to tie a tie, how to tie a bow tie, how to match you know shirts and ties and all that fun stuff. And then if they make it all the way through that day at the end, we have a whole room set up. It's kind of like a men's warehouse. And we take donated suits throughout the year. When they come in at the end, once they go through all the exercises, they get to go in. It's in conjunction with Tom James, which is a global um, men's custom tailor. And we have all the tailors there uh, from Tom James' office in Southfield. And these young men get to come in and pick a suit, a shirt, and two ties. They get to go through the custom suit tailor experience where we tailor those gently used suits to them. And then we put their name on the inside of the pocket and we deliver it to them before they graduate. Dude, that's awesome. That is absolutely incredible. It's, it, it's just, it's a cool thing. It, it's really a cool thing to yeah. see like once they get their first suit and they go through that experience, I mean, they light up and it's just a, it's a, it's a very fulfilling event. And I know the kids get a lot out of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm doing this for four or five years thinking to myself, you know, there's, there's more we can do with this. Like we've done a great job, you know, to get, <laughs> To get 70 high school kids in a room on one day is 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 an achievement in and of its own. But then what are we you know, yeah. what are we doing above and beyond that one day event? So I had a lot of ideas that I discussed with my board and and they wanted to keep it, you know, kind of with the one day event, which I which I understand and respect. These gentlemen are they're they're great human beings, great hearts. But I just had this, I just had this itch, man. You know, you know what it's like when there's when you've got an idea brewing and you get that itch you know, entrepreneurs and business owners and self-starters, they just, you, you obsess over it. So I couldn't, sure I do. couldn't get it out of my head. I, I started writing stuff down and eventually just, I, I stepped down from the board because I wanted to focus full time on this. Um, it was a great, you know, it was, a, it was a great meeting with my board. They, they really encouraged me to do this. And I had lunch with one of the school administrators um, that we uh, worked with, with Threads. And I sat down and I, and I, and he was actually the, the director of post-secondary education for the Southfield Public School District. Great guy named John Dignan. We sat down and, and I explained to him what I wanted to do. And this was April of 2019. This was about two years ago. I told him what I wanted to do. He said, if you do this, I will give you a classroom to teach it in, in one of the highest schools in Southfield. So the concept of the program, which I know we'll get into a little bit, was writing, literally writing a full curriculum from nothing that focused on three main principles, personal aspirations, financial aspirations, and professional aspirations, and what that actually means. And so I took the summer, I took the challenge, I took the, the entire summer, I developed the curriculum. I went back to him in August, said I did it. He didn't believe me. So we sat, we sat down a second time and uh, I, I laid it all out. He's like, this is incredible. He gave me, he, he put me, I'm like, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, like I got all this information, like, you know, I'm just, I'm just starting this. So what, what's next? He goes, why don't we put you in front of all the juniors and seniors in this one specific high school and you can pitch it. I'm like, awesome. So no joke. He brought every junior and senior in the high school into the auditorium. There's about 160 of them. They introduced me. I got up and explained what the program was, what the goal of the program was. And um, I explained to them that they had to apply for it. 
And so we got, we got about 40 applications, which I thought was great. I didn't know. I, I didn't know if anyone was going to like want to be a part of this or not, but I was like, you know, screw it. I'm doing it. And uh, we got 40 applications. We took 20 kids. Uh, we wanted to keep it manageable. And we ended up having about 12 go all the way through the program. And um, at the end, we did exit interviews. And this is kind of similar to how we run businesses, right? You, you try something, you, you, know, you ping your staff, you ping your team, your customers. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Mm-hmm. I did that with the administrators, um, the teachers, as well as the students, and got some valuable feedback. We, and what, what we found was they wanted more. We did two classes for each, each principal, and they wanted us to expand that to four. Um, so we did. And uh, we were well on our way to getting um, four schools total to start last fall. Coronavirus hit. So that kind of threw everything into a, into a tailspin, um, you know, which is obviously yeah. we had to kind of step back a little bit and let these, let, the, let these schools deliver their core curriculum and figure out how they were going to modify things, their process um, to, uh, to kind of bob and weave with, with just delivering core curriculum. Yeah, and um, I know that you don't do things unless you're super passionate about them. Um, and I want to definitely talk a lot more about the charity and, and what it means and, and all that. It's, I'm really excited to learn about your efforts there, and I'm excited to share them with everybody out there listening. Um, you know, we, you and I always have, and I, I think I echo this in my last conversation with my buddy Brian, but he's another guy like you that I have great conversations with. And, um, you know, we, we haven't had a chance to talk much recently. You just went through your busy season. Now you went through my incredible busy season. And it was because of COVID and because of how backed up things were, it was really, really busy. And it was hard to uh, connect with people. So I'm glad we're connecting today, brother. Um, you know, we didn't get to do our traditional gentleman's dinner where we get to get loose and talk about all this stuff. And we get to talk <laughs> about this topic and have a good time. <laughs> highlight, of my, highlight of my December every year. <laughs> it was the worst because we didn't get to do that this December. And I missed it so much. Um, we try not to obviously miss those, but this was one of those circumstances, right? Because of all the mandates and stuff going on. But, yeah. um, you know, how are you doing overall, man? Just I haven't talked to you much. There's a lot going on. Um, how is everything going with you? Peace of mind, everything with everything you see going on in our, our world right now? Yeah, you know, it's it's a challenge. I think, um, you know, we, we I find myself straddling this fine line between really engaging in what's going on, you know, here in our country, you know operationally, politically, legislatively, and the ignorance is bliss line, you know, and I mean, I'm still trying to figure out where the comfort zone is because you, you find yourself, you know, if you, if you are like you and I are, and, and most of the people that we, um, we, 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 we sit and talk with, we're independent thinkers. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not the kind of person that allows someone to, you know, let, you know, tell me how to think or, or give me something. Anytime something doesn't seem right, I dive into it um, objectively. And it's just to get information. And, you know, I think what I found is it's very difficult to do that today. Um, it takes a lot of effort. It shouldn't, uh, but it is taking a lot of effort to get pure information, unbiased, unvarnished, untainted. And it takes a lot of effort. Like I said, I don't think a lot of people are going to take those steps. And so what we end up with is a, is a society that that basically believes what they hear on face value, if it fits that you know, particular confirmation bias that they have. And I don't think it's doing us any favors. So it's, it's a challenge. You know, I've, I found myself after some of the craziness uh, surrounding the election, I've really kind of backed off. 
Um, you know, if there is a topic of, of concern for me personally, I will dig into it. You know, I'll, I'll, I have sources to go to where I can get information. But, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm trying to operate right now in an environment that just, you know, the circle's gotten smaller. You know, the environment is sure really is. My, my close friends, my family making sure that they're well and that they're taken care of. And that's happiness to me. Um, I'm also obviously not married. I don't have kids, so I'm a bit more flexible. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy traveling and I'm looking to, like you, like you and I discussed, um, you know, getting a home situated in another country, you know, just to have, um, just because I think that's going to be uh, important in the coming years if, if things don't dramatically change course. Yeah. Um... Just speaking of that, you know, what surprises you most about the current situation that we're in right now? Is there anything that really sticks out as, I know there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. What, what surprises you the most? The, 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 and I, I've actually had this conversation with a number of people. That's a great question. What has surprised me most um, was the reaction of the citizens of this country to the, to the fear. You know, we see them, right? We see people walking outside by themselves with masks on. Um, and again, that's if that makes you feel safe, by all means. But um, you know, end of the day, where we are, you know, despite the deaths, which are which are incredible and, and incredibly bad, um, we're, we we have to put that in scale with how many cases there are. At the end of the day, we're talking about a virus that has a upwards of a 99 plus percent survival rate. I am not under any circumstances by any means discounting those that have lost loved ones because I've lost, you know, friends uh, to this disease and it's, and it's, it's horrible. It's not, it's not, um, it's not good, but for the large majority of the people in this country, um, a large chunk are asymptomatic or, or have very little symptoms. So I'm surprised um, at how willing people were to concede um, without any further investigation. Um, that was my biggest concern. We all saw kind of in the beginning, and I know this just from being in the medical you know, industry, whether, although it's insurance, I'm not a doctor, but I do know, and we all saw reports, we know that when the hospital shut down, they couldn't take any other patients other than COVID patients, which had a dramatically, you know, had a dramatic financial impact on them. Because now we're talking yeah. about, you know, for example, I, I knew someone that had to get a, a, a mastectomy as a result of breast cancer, and that was considered elective. So that person couldn't get treatment, couldn't get care. And what we found was, you know, the, the hospitals, you know, because they have to stay afloat, we found, and there's a lot of examples and data to support this, we found a lot mm -hmm. of misdiagnosis as COVID in order for them to get the extra funding, um, you know, that was allotted for the treatment of the disease. So it's, it's difficult to really sit back and look at a half a million deaths and, and have the question, which I question, how many of those are actual deaths attributed to COVID um, versus those that may have been from another source, not necessarily COVID? So that's that's a question I have that I don't think we're ever going to really find out. Um, right. But that I think is the biggest thing. I, I'm really it really was it really was surprising to me uh, the impact and and the reaction of our citizens to that fear. Um, without kind of, you know, diving into it any deeper. That was, that was something that surprised me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the numbers and everything, and that's just, it's so hard to your point. Uh, where do you get your believable information, right? You have to do a lot of digging now 
and it is hard because even doing stuff, yeah. even preparing for what I talk about with on Liberty Monks, there's a lot of preparation to go into just different areas and doing research. And then you find yourself going into rabbit trails on stuff. And believe me, I've gone through several. <laughs> it, it, it can. And, I, and personally, I take a step back a little bit, um, you know, from it all too, a little bit, just because it can consume me and it does consume you because all of a sudden you just become you know, enwrapped in this world of trying to discover what's true and what isn't. And I think that, I think personally, just people that have good nature that want to help people oftentimes do that. I mean, that's what we do in my business. I mean, you know, the flu, the flu hits our country hard every single year. I think the stat was in, um, I think it was just the year before COVID, we had 750,000 flu-related hospitalizations. If you look at the data from last year now, it was 165. This is on the CDC's website. It goes, so it goes from 750,000 to 165. And it's like, all right, well, I know that people have been indoors and there's, I'm sure that has something to do with it. But that, that statistically doesn't even seem like it would be possible. I think the other thing that, that really surprised me, I, I guess it wasn't, a, it wasn't really a surprise. I guess I, I guess I was hoping it wasn't going to go this way. But I've been traveling pretty consistently since last May. Like once they, you know, once flights are available, I remember the first flight I took was to see some friends out in California over Memorial, right after Memorial Day. And I've been traveling pretty consistently ever since. What is incredible to see, just from my personal perspective, is the the difference with which this has been handled based on red states and blue states. And it is it is night and day. So I'll give you an example. Um, I went to Idaho uh, to meet some friends in Coeur d'Alene. Idaho is a very conservative, um, you know, predominantly Republican state. I'm not, I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat, so it doesn't really matter to me, mm-hmm. but you notice these things. Well, in order to get to Coeur d'Alene, you have to fly into Spokane, Washington, and then you drive about 40 minutes from Spokane into Idaho. And it's just incredible within a 40 minute drive, the difference with how it's handled when you're still in the same country. So you go from landing in Spokane, you know, with people verbally, I, I saw someone yelling at another person who didn't have a mask on inside the airport, um, which I, you know, which is, I know, I know has happened quite a bit. <laughs> then we get in the car and we drive, we drive into Idaho. It's wide open. I mean, it, there's literally a yeah. sign on the, on restaurant windows that say, you know, you're required to wear a mask. If you're not, if you choose not to wear one, we're going to go ahead and assume you have a medical condition that restricts you from wearing one. Enjoy your day. And to my knowledge, oh. There's no, there's no spike. Um, when we look at data from that state, we look at data from Florida that's been open yeah. where you're at right now. It's been open the entire time. There's no, yeah. you know, exorbitant data saying that the way that they've handled it is causing more deaths or, or really being, you know, really damaging, you know, to that, to that, uh, that demographic. So it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts to see the ways that handled. And back here in Michigan. Obviously, yeah. I've got a lot of friends and clients that own restaurants that are just that's hitting the fever pitch right now because we have met all of the requirements that have been placed upon us in terms of scaling down of cases and deaths. Yet we are surrounded with every other Midwestern state and we're the only one that's putting a restriction on uh, on inside dining. So, you know, we have to we, we have to be able to really get surgical with this and weigh the weigh the cost weigh the collateral damage of people losing their livelihoods, weigh the collateral damage of young children not being able to interact with other children, given that they are a demographic that is almost almost not impacted by this at all. Yeah. 
um, and yeah. what that does long term. You know, I think that that's been lost in some of the chaos. And 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 quite frankly, um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Quite frankly, I think that there are certain people in this country that want to perpetuate that. There there is value for them and what they're trying to achieve, and that is that is unfortunately to the detriment of the citizens of this country. And that's that's a big concern for me. Yeah, I think you can see the agenda pretty clearly. I think you can see um, intent pretty clearly. And you know, to your point, you know, you can't you can't have a full airplane. <laughs> of people next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. I know some planes are like that, but a lot of them are. Um, but then tell a restaurants they can only have, you know, 25% capacity. And that's your point. Uh, I've been down in Florida off and on quite a bit this year, and the state's been wide open for the most part. And it is relatively normal. I mean, nothing's normal anywhere, but it's relatively right. normal, meaning you can go into a restaurant, nobody's wearing anything. Except for the waist strap. You know, you might go into a store or something and maybe certain stores are a little more heavy towards the mask and they ask you to wear one and whatnot. But it's interesting, though, it's almost hit or miss versus um, in my time, obviously, in Michigan, which is where we live. Um, it's a completely different story. And then there's also, you know, there's also the the argument, which I've heard quite a bit, which, you know, if you approach this from a common sense perspective, uh, for those that are, are consider themselves consider themselves to be high risk or for those who are gravely concerned about this, they have the option, right? That's the beauty of freedom. Yeah. They have the option to stay home. They have the option to wear gloves and masks or two masks plus a shield. When they go out, they have options to do all these things, um, which would protect them from it. Um, and for those people that are not overly concerned about it, maybe because they don't have any comorbidities, um, they're of a certain mm -hmm. age or they're below a certain age where you know, now we're talking about a survival rate that is uh, up there with getting struck by lightning. They should also have the ability to, I get, you know, under certain circumstances, but, um, you know, to go live their lives if they want to live their lives. So that's a, that's an argument that I've, I've not, I don't want to say an argument, I'd rather say a debate that I've had discussions yeah. on, which I think has some merit to it. Um, the problem is we're trying to find, we're trying, we're trying to find one solution for, you know, 350 million people. And, and we consistently fail at that as a country, whether it's COVID or anything else. Yeah, and, and COVID is just one layer to this. And it obviously has was kindling for a fire that I think was already started from the, from the economy's perspective. You know, um, yeah. we're looking at a, a very, very difficult situation economically. I wanted to see what your thoughts were about that as well, just because, you know, I don't know if you've been on usdebtclock.org, but you can get a lot of really good information from that, and it tells you where this is going. No, I was just going to say, by 2028, we're expected to have $89 trillion of debt in this country and $124 trillion of M2 money supply, which is really a huge, obviously, contributing factor to what our money's worth, how much is out there for people to get their hands on. And that's, people need to have context to this. If we're at nine, we're at, we're at 19 trillion of that right now, um, and in 2000 we were at like almost five trillion of that money supply. And now you, you look at it and how much it grew in 21 years, and now what they expect it to grow in eight years is just staggering. And then we have to factor in too the two big things coming up within the next two decades, right? Is how you know we're going to have we have more senior citizens um, rolling onto Medicare than ever before in our country's history. They are living, you know, with the advancement, thank God, with the advancement of, you know, medicine and medical technology, they're living longer, healthier lives. That also means they're consuming welfare services for a longer period of time. So there's more people 
in a pool consuming for a longer period of time. We have to factor right. things like that. Right. And I, I know a lot about that because that's what I do for a living. Um, and then there's also the concern about, you know, social security. So we're talking about Medicare really running out of money at some point, unless there's some changes to that and, and social security as well. I think the Medicare, one of them is coming up in the 2020s. And I think social security is 2034. Um, you know, that gets, that, that exacerbates the debt situation we have right now. I mean, and we're talking about, we're talking about bills. Remember, I mean, Remember when George Bush was president, he did like a $600 billion or $700 stimulus package. And we were just like, everyone was clasping their pearls. Like, oh my God, that's such an incredible amount of money. And that we're, we're, we're talking trillions. Like it's, it's, the numbers are so large and we're really not, no one's really, if you look at any news, what you just brought up isn't really discussed or promoted or shown. It's kind of like that thing that keeps going where like you look at it and you're like, oh my God, that's, that's not good. But yet, and you go, and then we go about our business like it doesn't exist and it, it it's going to yeah. come home to roost. It's pure mathematics. It, it, it's just, it, it, it's math. I mean, I yep. love math because no matter how much you want one plus one to equal three, it's always going to equal two. <laughs> well, you know, and that's interesting because, you know, we talk about this with our clients all the time, that money and math are the same thing. You can use math to prove and disprove things. I think it's really easy to show math right now and prove that this is not sustainable in any way, shape, or okay. form. Um, you, can't, you can't devalue money and then increase taxes, which I think we're all in agreement that the government will likely be re- required to raise more revenue means they're going to have to. So where they get where they get that from, you know, and and the more and more we start to see those taxes increase for the people that are in wealthier positions, big corporations, you know, those corporations pass on those taxes through inflation to their citizens by increasing the price of goods. This is what I think is the biggest disconnect to your point. There's not a lot of education on this out there. Um, there really needs to no. be, which is why I'm super thrilled about what you're doing um, with your charity work. I think it's I think it's imperative that people like you are out there doing what you're doing. Um, with regard to that. So I can't tell you how awesome it is um, uh, that you are. But, you know, I think I think we can both agree, man, um, that the people flying the plane right now um, aren't doing a good job within the government of flying it. Um, I think it was Carnegie, though, that said, um, I think it was, let's never waste a minute thinking about people we don't like. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I know that that's probably true for both of us. So let's um, Let's focus a little bit, man, on your, your charity and your passions. Um, I want to make yeah. sure that we have, give that a lot of time. And um, so let's focus on some things that are going right. Um, let's talk about your charity work. What you, got, you told me how you got started for Threads for Success, um, and you even alluded to some of the things that you've learned through that experience. But, you know, now that you're spearheading this other awesome charity, um, you know, Aspire Detroit, what, tell, tell us more about what that charity encompasses and what the mission of it is. The mission is to um, is to speak to these to these young men from an employ from a prospective employer, you know, you know position, mm-hmm. right? And and what is what what employers are going to be looking for, and ways that you can distinguish yourself from your peers, shine a spotlight on you, make yourself more marketable, um, and just and hopefully increase those odds of you living in you know the middle class or above if that's what you choose to do and these are simple these are simple consistent techniques that are mm-hmm. you know they're not 
They're not local to young, they're, they're not specific to young men. We're gonna eventually be opening this up to young women as well and building a board of directors uh, right now as we speak. I've got two great people, Kareem Cade, who you know um, is on my board, nice. as well as um, Stacey McDonald, who is my cousin's wife. She's a 20 year educator, she's amazing. Um, and Kareem does a lot of work in the school system. His focus with his yeah. benefit practice is specifically geared towards the school system. So got a lot of knowledge there. Um, so if we kind of just go, just a quick little rundown. Um, we start with personal aspiration. We called it personal responsibility. I kind of changed the name because I didn't want it to sound, you know, hard or demanding. It just, it's, it's something to aspire to. Um, and we start mm -hmm. with etiquette. We start with basic general etiquette. And I always, the first thing I always say is I am under no assumption that your parents have not taught you these things. I, I'm assuming they have. When you hear it from me, I'm bringing it up to tell you that it is very important. <laughs> These things that you're being taught and told are also very important as you as you you know transition into adulthood and into the end of the working world. Um, so I start very basic. I start with pleases and thank yous and excuse me. I uh, I talk about how to give a true apology and what what that consists of. I talk about accepting an apology with grace. I talk about winning and losing with integrity. Most of these young men that I speak with are very active in athletics. So we talk about winning and losing with integrity. Um, we get into a bit of, of dining etiquette too, because you'll you'll likely, as we know, once things start to open up again, employers will take you out to, you know, prospective employers will do interviews in a, in a social setting. They may take you out for, for lunch or for dinner just to see how you interact, because they know at some point based on that job, you might be in front of clients someday um, out to lunch or out to dinner or out for a few drinks, and they want to make sure you understand how to operate in that environment. Um, so it's very important. We talk about um, identifying and embracing a core value system and what that means, right? So I've, I've got a list and a definitions of a hundred different value points that I give to them, you know, between courses and say, look at these and let's talk about which ones resonate with you. And let's start to incorporate the foundation of a value system, which is what you, you know, kind of what you apply to every situation and what you hold yourself accountable to. Also very important, um, uh, building and maintaining a good reputation, both in person and online. We get into a lot of work on what to what what not to post online, right? How to mm -hmm. use social media effectively. Um, there's so many we can get caught up so much in you know our friends and our you know our colleagues and all these other people doing other things and trying to be popular, trying to get more friends and doing you know crazy things on on social media to get a few more friends. And we're trying to just trying to kind of illustrate what some of the long term can be of that. Like a lot of these young adults don't know that employers are looking. If they can find your social media profile, they're looking at your social media profile because they're looking at that as a true interpretation of the person you are because you're voluntarily giving this information out. And so that has an impact. Um, and so that's that kind of sums up the personal side. Um, and once we get that foundation down, we transition into financial aspirations. And this was developed, you know, in conjunction with my mentor and business coach and your mentor and business coach, Dr. Fadi Baradihi, um, an incredible guy. Um, he helped me build this. And we start very simply with just talking about what your take-home pay is, right? Like very mm -hmm. basic. You're getting 20 bucks an hour. You're not taking home 20 bucks an hour. You don't plan or start spending money based on 20. You do it based on whatever it ends up being, 14 or 12, <laughs> and possibly possibly less as we as we move forward. Right, right. But 
And then once we understand that, we start to, we, we have a, a framework and a matrix to give them to build and operate and work a personal budget. So now we've got understanding what take-home pay is. There's a constant narrative here of living within your means, right? Not taking on too much consumer debt, building, operating, and working your own personal budget. And then once we do that, now we start to tell them about you know, short-term financial goals, medium-term financial goals, long-term financial goals, and how to appropriately save for them. So short-term goals, like, right, I, I want to get an apartment, or I need a car, or I need a new computer, to medium-term, like, okay, now I'm looking to maybe buy a house, to long-term financial goals, like retirement, you know, covering mm-hmm. my children's college and things like that, and, and how they go about doing that. We get into some very basic um, investment principles, like compounded interest. The sooner you start doing it, the better it'll pay off in the long run. Um, and so we want to just give, we want to just give and instill some basic foundational financial literacy that they can use that, that's a, that simple concepts that they can use and build off of if they find interest in any specific aspect of that. Um, and we get a great response from that because we do a lot of exercises, um, in that realm. And then finally, uh, the professional, um, aspiration is where we get into, you know, Let's start preparing ourselves for that working world. So the first thing we do is we start off, we talk about resumes. We go through the different types of resumes, give them examples, help Mm -hmm. them build a functional, strong, solid resume to put out there, um, both online and in in paper form. We talk about prepping for an interview, right? Not a lot of people do it anymore. When you start, you you research the company that you're going to be interviewing with. You find out the name of the person that's interviewing you. You do research on them. You find them on LinkedIn. You find some mm-hmm. common things that you can discuss that are kind of outside the context of the actual job conversation mm-hmm. to start to build rapport. These are the things we can do to make these people remember us when we get out of that room. We talk about handwritten thank you cards, which is also a lost art form, and the response people give you when you, when you send those out. Um, talk about marketing themselves, uh, you know, setting up a LinkedIn profile. You know, maybe setting up a simple web web page, giving them business cards that just have their maybe their school logo and some interest on the back that just has their information. I mean, if I'm if I'm interviewing mm-hmm. a young man that comes out of high school and he's got a personal business card with his contact information on the back, his activities he was you know involved in in school, charitable work and interest, I would be would you be floored? I would be floored if I saw that. Absolutely, you just don't see that. You don't see that level of detail um, with no. how heck. You barely see it with people that are out of high school. <laughs> right. I never did yeah. it. I never wrote handwritten thank you notes until maybe about seven or eight years ago. And, and people, yeah. it, the response has been incredible. So these are, and, and, you know, we, we, when I was in, when I was doing this in person in the classroom, there was points yeah. for attendance. We preached the, you know, the adage five minutes early is on time. On time is late. Late is unacceptable. Yeah. I pound that into their head. Now that we're doing this virtually, the expectation is that they're on within five minutes before everything starts so we can get going. And if they're not on, we start anyways. If you come in late, you come in late, but the train's leaving the station. And there's starting to impart these things and saying, okay, once I'm ex- once we explain everything, now it's just about getting those reps in. It's about putting that into practice. And there's, there's um, I want to share with you that I, I saw and I took a picture of that I'm going to be um, explaining to my, my candidates. It's, um, from this book called Atomic Habits. 
It says there's nothing magical about time passing with regard to habit formation. It doesn't matter if it's between 21 days or 30 days or 300 days. What matters is the rate at which you perform the behavior. You could do something twice in 30 days or 200 times. It's the frequency that makes the difference. Your current habits, whether good or bad, have been internalized over the course of hundreds, if not thousands of repetitions. New habits require the same level of frequency. So I think that's a phenomenal statement because it talks about, you know, when we want to aspire to become something more or we want to achieve something and we don't know how to get there, what we have to realize is the habits we have today were formed over the course of our life. In order to change that course, you, it's not, not something you're going to change in a week. If I developed a bad yeah. habit over the last five years, it may take three to five years for me to learn a habit that counteracts that and then and, and turns that into a more positive habit at the end of the day. So that's kind of what we, we talk about. You know what you need to do now. It's printed off. It's been yeah. handed to you. You have all the information you need. Now start putting it into practice and putting the reps in. And we truly believe and we've seen um, that the results that they're going to get are going to be phenomenal. No, and you know, tell you what, man, just everything you just covered right there was is absolutely um, important and, and incredible that you're operating in that capacity with these with these young kids because it's going to put them so far ahead of other people when it comes to some of those those things that we look at as maybe maybe sometimes more basic, you know, uh, things in life where you. You just know that you go help somebody when they're an old, older person struggling with their groceries. There's certain things you just go do as as a polite person and somebody who notices and observes things and critically thinks through things. And it sounds like you're really helping these kids to harness some of those critical skills. It's uh, it has a lot to do with my faith as well. I mean, I've been I've, I've been very active in my church, and I, I was going to share with you as well. My church mm-hmm. found out about the program. And I'm really excited to share that this past week, this past Wednesday night, my church found out about my program and they do a lot of work with the foster care system. So there's this um, oh, this organization beautiful. they have within our church called the New Foster Care. The New Foster Care is an organization that captures young adults that age out of the foster care system. They don't get adopted um, and they put together a number of resources for them. So they've asked us to, or asked me to bring Aspire in and kind of link it to that as part of a, a life skills mentoring program. And we just kicked that off uh, Wednesday night, which was awesome. So um, man, congratulations, uh, man. Yeah, it, I'm super pumped about it. And uh, that's going to be a six, six part course that we're doing. We've modified it a little bit. There are some assumptions you can make with young adults in high school that don't necessarily apply to those in the foster care system. You don't know level. You don't know what the last grade is that they completed. You don't know um, home life. There's a lot of things that we don't know. We have to approach it um, much more carefully than the high school environment. So um, I'm glad that we're kind of put in that situation and and taking on that challenge because I think there's as much of a need with that that demographic as there is with the high school students. Absolutely. And um, that's an area of passion for our family. Um, My Gina, my wife, you've met Gina. She uh, was a Girl Scout troop leader for about five years, and she did a lot of work at the Whaley House up in Flint, which is, um, you know, a foster um, home for kids. And shouldn't even take pictures with them because you just don't know their circumstances. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know who's looking for them. And it's 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 one of those. (laughs) That was a very very um, 
uh, down to brought, you know, get grounded situation for us, just seeing that environment. And it, it created a fire in her uh, about foster kids and being able to make an impact in their lives. But it sounds like you're, you're going to be able to do that with your program, which is phenomenal, man. What, let me ask you something, you know, these kids go through your, your curriculum and it, and it sounds like you guys have spent a lot of time developing it. I mean, they don't, they don't teach a lot of the stuff in school. I'm going to make very clear. Like they don't teach the stuff. Well, about that's, that's kind of why I focus on these, these exact things because I know they're not taught specifically yeah. in public schools. These are things yeah. that, and again, I don't, I don't know the family life. I know I've had kids that, that come from single parent households. I know I have kids that are being raised by grandparents. Um, I yeah. know I've had kids that don't have a strong male influence in their life. That's why I'm focusing on the young men now um, that I want to mm -hmm. bring on kind of a female counterpart to start taking on the young women because that's another area. You know, the, these young girls in high school right now are being hit from all sides with self image concerns and issues with what they see, yeah. what's perpetuated on social media. And these standards that they're holding themselves to, it's causing a lot of damage. So, yeah. um, you know, again, it's, it's, they don't teach this stuff in high school. And I'm not expecting them to because they have no. their hands full with what they do have to teach. This is a supplement, yeah. and I wanted to be very careful to make sure I wasn't overlapping on a lot of stuff that is taught. Of course. So you're seen as competitive. I want to teach something that's not being taught that's kind of more of a life skills, you know, curriculum than anything else. Well, and you know, to your point, man, as hard as all these teachers work, and I think everybody who's paying attention can look at that right now and, and see that the level of effort and what they're struggling with and getting these kids the curriculum and the information they need to be successful, uh, it's a battle. So to, to your point, to enhance that and take it and add some other things to it, uh, I think it's very powerful because, again, the kids that are going to be able to go through what their normal schooling is, which is going to give them tools and resources, this is just going to give them even more tools and resources. And I always, you know, uh, point out to people i think most people do the best they can with the resources they have available sometimes yeah. people just said it's scarcity right i mean we we talk about this all the time and it was related to money dollars are scarce it, it, you, we are dealing with the science of scarcity when we're dealing with economics and we're mm -hmm. dealing with that with all resources it's not just money it's all resources that we have that includes knowledge wisdom experience know-how I'm, you know, self-image, all those things are tools. Um, and if there's a fracture, it's very, very difficult sometimes to, you know, to see why a kid might be struggling unless they're able to talk about it in a format like you've put together. Pretty awesome. Um, what, what, would, what can people expect when they meet a kid coming out of your program? Um, what can they expect to notice out of them? They're going to notice um, my, my hope. <laughs> my hope is that they're going to notice um, a, a certain level of confidence with the way they carry themselves, um, knowing that they are now armed with tools that they didn't have before, before that they can apply mm -hmm. to a multitude of different circumstances. I'm glad you asked that question too, because I also wanted to share with you that something that we're trying to do right now for this summer is we're trying to build an internship program for the young men that make it through this, um, that don't, you know, don't have opportunities for employment right now. Um, and I think that's very important. So what we're doing is just through my network and, you know, through my colleagues and my network of professionals, mm -hmm. just asking businesses, hey, would you have an opportunity for a 90-day internship throughout the summer? I really want to mimic what Mayor Duggan has done in Detroit with the Detroit Youth Initiative. I think it's called something different now, but I was mm -hmm. working with the, with the mayor's office with um, uh, Threats for Success when he originated this. And I thought it was a great job. I thought it was a great idea. It's 90 days. 
the city of Detroit paid the young man a thousand bucks and the employer paid the young man a thousand bucks. And we, you know, we've got, we've been blessed wow. to raise money where we can handle that. So we want to be able to provide them if they make it through, right. They, they commit to it. They know that that's the carrot at the end. That means showing up on time. That means doing what's asked of you. That means if we give assignments that you complete those, um, if you can't, you let us know beforehand why, and you offer a way to make it up. So there we're conditioning them to be successful in the working, in, in the working space. So some of the other things that they can expect, they're going to be on time, that they're going to be respectful, um, that they're going to be considerate, that they're going to be sponges, that they're going to learn, that they're going to, you know, again, just be active, be engaged, um, ask, not just do what's expected of them, but ask what else they can do to help. And these are mm -hmm. things that, if, again, I tell people all the time, I've got people with MBAs that work for me. I have people with high school educations that work for me. And there are people with high school educations that run circles around those that have MBAs. And I don't know why. Yep. Maybe it's because they're hungrier. I don't know. But it's not always the case. But there, it's, it's, again, it's not the specific level of intelligence. It's doing what's asked, saying what, you do, saying what you're going to do, and then doing it. And I, I had this conversation with a colleague a while ago that you could start off as the janitor of a company. And if you consistently tell the people you work with what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, and you execute on those commitments time and time again, you yeah. are now becoming what's called reliable. When you are a reliable person, people will come to you more often than an unreliable person. And you will continue to grow. You will continue to get opportunities because people recognize that and know but they can throw a little bit more on your plate and you're going to rise to the occasion. And that's, that's really what we're trying to, what we're trying to instill. Well, and there could not be more true words than you just spoke too, because I can tell you, I have multiple examples within our financial practice of people start at companies at the help desk and actually working their way up to executive positions where they're making, they're making great incomes and they're wildly successful and they're buying their house for their dreams and the things that they want to do and they're saving for their kids' colleges. And, and they started and, you know, somebody might look at that and go, well, I have a college education. Why would I start at the help desk? Because you need to know all the different jobs inside the organization so you understand how it works. I think that's one of the things that goes um, overlooked a lot is there is no you know inappropriate where place to start it could be to your point of being a janitor so what you're learning how things work in that organization you're there at night when people aren't you know those are those, there's there's advantages to a lot of things i think to your point you just have to have your eyes open yep you treat the busboy at the restaurant with the same respect you treat the owner of the restaurant that's right it doesn't matter none of us are better than anybody else we all we can do is try to put ourselves in situations where we can grow and gain experience and confidence and let that take its course but that's the other thing you're we're we're not good enough you, you know we, we have to make sure and that's what, another thing that i tell these young men you're not good at, you're not better than any position that's available out there if you take yep. a job and you're earning income you're blessed now you might not like that but what better time to look for something better when you already have a job earning income right <laughs> so we may not yep. like where we're at so what are the steps that we're going to take to get out of that situation and get to something better and there's ways yeah. to do that. And that's what we want to kind of, that's the mentality is it doesn't always have to be what it is. You have control over these things, whether you've been told that or not throughout your life. I'm here to tell you as someone that looks at resumes, interviews people, 
hires people and ultimately fires people. Mm -hmm. These are the things that I look for and that I know a lot of business owners look for. And these are ways you can excel. And again, getting back to what we first said, Jamie, it doesn't require a specific level of intelligence and it doesn't require a specific level of talent. You make these decisions, you develop these habits, the results will be, the, the results will show for themselves. One of my mentors at one point, I think, said um, something along the lines of some of the successful people are the ones just dumb enough to do what other people wouldn't do. <laughs> you know, and you know what? And that, that I think that that is absolutely true. And to your point, it doesn't take a, uh, the smartest person in the room. It takes the one who's the most capable uh, through their own efforts, right, um, and has yep. the most drive. So how, how do people get involved um, to help support your efforts here? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can go to our website, which is aspiredetroit.org. So A-S-P-I-R-E, Detroit.org. There's some great information there. Um, right now, we're pretty much um, we're pretty much engaged right now through the rest of this school year. We're looking, we're hoping as things start to open up, and hopefully throughout the summer, hopefully all these kids will be back in school next fall. We've already got a few schools that we're speaking to. We want to, so there's a couple of things that we want to do right now. We'd love to add some schools starting next fall so we can expand this. Um, Mm -hmm. We're looking for volunteers that want to, now's a great time. They can chime into some of our our go-to meetings with these young men and they can see what I do and how I do it. We'd love to get more instructors kind of certified to deliver this curriculum. Um, We're certainly looking for business owners that might have um, internship opportunities. That's really the big thing. That is a big draw for these young men is telling them, hey, listen, these are going to be very helpful for you in the working space and then actually giving them an opportunity to exercise those muscles. So that's going to be very important as well as getting some employers that are willing to be part of our, you know, part of our employer pool that we can go to because ultimately we like to grow it to a point where maybe we can get a little specific and say, well, this young man here has an interest in engineering. Maybe there's a, you know, a firm that's out there that mm-hmm. can take him under his wing and, and try to pair them with businesses that actually align with what they want to do long-term. Um, and, you know, obviously financial donations um, are always needed and always welcomed. And, you know, ideally, if we can really start to light a fire under this, not only would I like to help these young men through the course, get them the, some experience in the real world, but we would really, really love to be in a financial position at some point to give them some financial assistance for further education, whatever they choose to end up doing. Uh, what do they, whatever they choose to, uh, to do awesome. going forward. So that's a long-term goal that we're working on now, but we're still, mm-hmm. we're still trying to get the word out. So it's going to take some time and, and uh, I've developed a good amount of patience, which I, I don't normally have. Yeah. There's a lot of red tape, huh? Yeah. Red tape and politics uh, certainly does drive the speed of things, uh, no matter what, 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 how much effort we seem to put in. Right. Um, There's people like us that aren't going to quit in the face of that come hell or high water. So you could throw whatever the hell uh, you want to throw at me. It's not stopping. And I think that's what I think that's just the uh, the mind of a person who has an entrepreneurial mind, right? Um, everything that you run into is a challenge that you can overcome. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too small to take on. It's just one of those things that um, I know that's what motivates me every day to get up. Is that there's always something that you can do to impact somebody else's life, and um, you're mm-hmm. certainly impacting a lot of lives right now, brother. And so I'm, I'm extremely excited about what you're doing. I'm glad that you're telling me about all this. And I'm glad that you and the audience right now also can hear about this too, because 
there's going to be some description in the description, um, you know, below uh, the link and everything you can find uh, uh, links to the, the website uh, um, that Anthony's referring to uh, Spire Detroit and um, also threads for success. And, um, and Anthony, anything else you want me to put in there, brother, that, that, that will be helpful for you. I'd be happy to do now. Um, you, you've mentioned a couple times today, and I know we're probably running up against it here a little bit, but you mentioned a couple times today, um, your faith, man, and, and how important that is to you, um, and how it's helped you make decisions in your life and how to live. But what, how has your faith impacted how you live today? Um, it's, it's really, it's really realigned my focus on gratitude, um, and mm. really understanding that, um, I approach, I, I, I approach every day, um, as a blessing. And I, I know that, you know, I, I, I truly believe that God is, th that this is the purpose that God has given me. So I, I believe that Aspire Detroit is the purpose that God has given me. I take that very seriously. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very grateful. I'm very blessed to be put in a position financially that I have the time and I have the financial, um, assistance to to actually put something like this together and work it so um and that comes through i mean obviously i don't i don't get into a lot of a lot of faith or religious things with with my course i, I keep it relatively agnostic mm -hmm. but um i i just i just that that's what i'm attributing a lot of this talent to um or whatever this gift is and, and the way that god wants to use me um i've subscribed to it i'm committed to it um, and it fuels me uh, to try to just go out there day in, day out and make this curriculum the best it can possibly be. Take constructive criticism, be humble, understand that I don't know everything about this. I've never done anything like this mm -hmm. before by myself. So I'm soliciting feedback from my board members and everybody um, to try to make this as relevant and applicable and advantageous as I can. And I really don't believe I would have been able to do that without my faith. That's awesome, man. Um, a lot can be learned from that. I know uh, I feel the same way about my faith too. So it's it's cool that that you have that perspective and that that can help drive you and focus you. Um, has that given you any principles that you live by today that really impact your behavior and impact the things that you get up and do on a daily basis? Absolutely. Um, it's it's really. I mean, I I, I you know I, I know if I look you know. 10, 20 years in the past and, and how I operated as a, as an employee right out of college. And then as a, as a business owner in my early years, just, just steamrolling through people just because I wanted to grow the business and handling, not handling things the right way, not being, you know, not, not, you know, times where I wasn't very considerate or respectful to the people that were just there to help me, just acknowledging those things um, and understanding that going forward, you know, with the foundation of faith is just, really really treating every interaction and every relationship as an opportunity really understanding mm -hmm. that there's that there's that i'm not better than anybody else that i can learn from everyone whether it's a bad situation or a good situation it can all be a learning experience um and so that's the way i approach things now is i'm i'm way more humble with my interactions with you know friends family colleagues strangers um yeah. i treat people differently because they're all, you know, they're, they're put in our path for a reason. And there's, there's, I think if we get, if we can, you know, if we subscribe to a level of arrogance where we think we know everything, it's going to, it's going to come back at you. And, and I've, I've experienced that. And the way that I approach life uh, every day, 
with these interactions. I look at everyone as an opportunity to grow, mm-hmm. incorporate those things into my life, into my curriculum, into my practice, into my faith, and ultimately just become a better person. Awesome, brother. Um, my last question for you, man, and this is the one of them I put on the actual pre-interview forum that you uh, sent back to me. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. If you're sitting there, man, and you're 90 or 95 years old, and somebody asks you, why have you had a good life? What, what do you think that answer would be if you had to answer it today? I don't know. What did I write down in my question? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, brother. I remember like, I had I had a great answer for it. I should have I should have. You did have a great answer, man. I love this. It was awesome. It's like I always kept my word, even when it was not in my best interest to do so. And yep. I I really like that because I think there's a lot of people that do things for self interest, and I think when you do stuff that isn't for self interest and you really mean it, that's what this is all about. Um, it's about truly putting yourself behind the, you know, the needs of other people. And I think that's, that's what God wants us to do. And um, I don't know I read that, man. And I thought that was really cool. That's actually the definition of integrity is, is doing, doing the right thing, even when it's not in your best interest to do so. And what that does is that builds character because, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, people make a decision like, and then it's not working out for them. And then they, they go against their word. Um, and yeah. I can tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm a, you've known me for a long time. I'm a very yeah. direct person. I don't really, I don't beat around the bush. I, cause I'm, <laughs> that comes from the impatient person. <laughs> Beating around the bush takes too much time. But yeah. what I found is that people may not always like the way I approach things, but what people will always know when they interact with me is that I'm going to be honest with them. And if I tell them I'm going to yeah. do something, it's going to get done again, no matter what. And, and I live by that. And I can tell you that I think the more I apply that principle and the longer I live, the more it's appreciated, the more it fulfills me, the more it fulfills those around me. And, mm-hmm. and again, when I'm 90 years old, looking back, um, if I can find a handful of people that would agree with me on that statement, then I'm, then I'm a happy guy. Absolutely, man. Well, dude, I, I want to thank you, um, first and foremost, for being a guest on, on Liberty Monks today. I had a great time catching up with you, hearing about all the awesome stuff you're doing, all the things that lie ahead for you. Excited about supporting those efforts, too. By by all means, you know, we'll, we have a lot of the same people in our network, but we also have separate networks, too, which is cool. So it's, it's one of those things where uh, um, we're, we're definitely excited about bringing some attention to what you're doing and um, happy to do so. So um i will tell you man what you're what you're actually doing is very inspiring to me i'm thinking about it right now and i'm it's it's really really cool that you've taken these measures to make other people feel as important as you're making them feel and i can't tell you how inspiring that is on my end um to see to see you doing that and um I'm glad that I we had a chance to, to catch up earlier. No, I'm proud of you, man. And I, 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 again, anything that I can do to help, anything we can do to help uh, at CORE and at Liberty Monks, we're, we're happy to do. Um, to you guys out there listening today, thanks. I appreciate it. Please check out Anthony's charity efforts. Uh, you can find links, again, to Threads for Success and Aspire Detroit in the link in the description below. Um, with that being said, Anthony, thanks again for joining us on Liberty Monks. Until next time. God bless you. God bless all of you listening today and God bless America and and take care of yourselves.